This is a special edition of Civic from the San Francisco Public Press, bringing you the April 15th, 2020 press conference with San Francisco Mayor London Breed on the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in today and joining us to talk about a few updates we have uh, related to COVID-19 here in San Francisco. As of today, we have 1,013 total cases of those who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And sadly, we have lost uh, 17 uh, people. Uh, there are 17 people who died as a result of this virus as of today. As a reminder, you can visit datasf.org slash COVID-19 for our full tracker uh, with information on um, what uh, who's been diagnosed, the number of tests, and other resources that are available, or any questions that you may have. And I want to just start today by reminding us uh, really how far we've come. From the very beginning, we have made it our mission to slow the spread of this virus, to help those vulnerable populations, to keep people safe, uh, and we're continuing to do all we can to do just that. Uh, we are still dealing with the number of cases in San Francisco, uh, and uh, we also know that there will continue to be challenges, and we will continue to see increases in the number of cases of the coronavirus as we continue to do testing. You know, it may seem like uh, this will never end, but it will come to an end. And I want to be clear that Although you may hear about San Francisco and how well we're doing, um, that we are flattening the curve, now is definitely not the time to let up. I read a really great article in the San Francisco Chronicle this weekend that talked about the Spanish flu in 1918, uh, almost 100 years ago. Uh, in September, of 1918, the flu, the Spanish flu hit San Francisco real hard, and the city that we know and love, the resilient San Francisco, stepped up, reacted, closed schools, closed churches, required people to wear masks, as this particular virus killed millions of people throughout the world and in the United States. Over 500,000 Americans and 50 million people worldwide. And so as San Francisco started to see based on its quick action, uh, there were changes and we started to basically, they probably didn't call it flattening the curve at that time, but that's exactly what they did. And as the number of cases and deaths declined in November of 1918, uh, they declared victory and went out in the streets, they partied, they celebrated, everyone was happy, they threw off their mask and moved on with their lives. And two days later, almost 2,000 people died. And in addition to that, they dealt with this real challenge all the way into 1919, uh, when people continued to be infected, uh, the virus came back with a vengeance, and unfortunately, uh, it did take some time to get people back into a place of complying with the orders in order to try and protect public health. The gains that they had made on the front end were all basically lost because they moved too quickly. 
And I tell that story about history so to remind us um, that we need to look at what has happened in history to make sure that we're not repeating the same mistakes. We are not asking you uh, to, to shelter in, indoors, to stay at home, um, and, and, and also uh, expect that you know, this is something that's comfortable for all of you. We know that this is very challenging, that it has a significant impact on not only our physical health, but our mental health. And yesterday, I, with a doctor from UCSF, we hosted an online webinar uh, to talk about that and to talk about our mental health and the challenges with family, with children, with isolation, uh, and with a number of things. And we wanted to make sure that we had a resource available to the public to deal with that. Um, HillSanFrancisco.org, anyone can log on or call 311. Uh, if there is any information that you may need or someone to talk to uh, during this very challenging time, because the fact is, it's not over. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We will get through this, but it is going to require time, and it's going to require patience like never before. I don't believe anyone on this earth has ever experienced anything like this before. As I said, the Spanish flu was over a century uh, ago, and here we are dealing with a pandemic of the same proportion. And I know that you would think that, especially in a place like San Francisco where we have CPMC and Kaiser and UCSF and San Francisco General and all of these incredible hospitals and research labs and doctors and, and all of this great science and technology that 100 years later, we should not be in a situation we are in where we're requiring people to stay at home. But the fact is we are. Public health is in jeopardy. And because of your work and your compliance with this order, we have done a great job at maintaining, even as we see the number of cases increase every day, even as we see the number of, sadly, deaths continue to increase, we are still in a better place, and it has everything to do with the people of San Francisco, for the most part, complying with the orders. And so now is not the time to let up and get comfortable, uh, especially as we see the weather has gotten a lot better. Everyone probably wants to go outside and hang out. They want to see friends. They want to see family. Unfortunately, this is not the time to let up. And we're still in this. Uh, we still need to get through this, and we still need your cooperation to do just that. So I want to express, again, my appreciation. Um, of course, uh, do what you can to get your fresh air and take your walks. Make sure you're taking care of your, your mental health as well, uh, because that's also a critical uh, uh, thing that we will need to do in order to get through this uh, together. So uh, thank you again for cooperating, and I want to talk a little bit today about uh, the future and what you know San Francisco looks like uh, as we begin to reopen our city. And I want to be clear, we don't know when that's going to be, but what we do know is that it's going to be a lot different than what it was before. And the governor talked about uh, in his press conference yesterday 
uh, that there, there will be changes and we need to prepare for those changes uh, because we won't be completely out of the woods as it relates to this virus, even as we gradually uh, may reopen the city. There is still a two-year time period, almost, before we could even maybe have a vaccine. And so we just have to be mindful that it's important that we, we live in reality. We live in reality with what we have in terms of our capacity, in terms of our equipment, in terms of what we can do around testing and, and, and the kinds of things that are gonna help support our communities. And also we marry that reality with science, with data, and we make good decisions in order to protect public health. And as we come out of this, what does that really look like? And what are some of the things that we're gonna need to do in order to continue to protect the public? And as I mentioned before, uh, we have some incredible health institutions here in San Francisco, and many of you are familiar with UCSF and the amazing uh, doctors and clinicians and, and researchers. Uh, the work they do is, is world-renowned uh, in terms of breakthrough science and data. And in fact, one of the things that we've been talking about and you probably have been hearing about is contact tracing. Uh, because part of what we want to be able to do once someone is diagnosed, uh, it's easy to, of course, check in on their family and the people that are immediately around them and to test them. That ha has been happening already here in the city. Uh, we reach out to uh, the folks that they've connected with or may have been in touch with. And the way that our contract tracing system uh, through UCSF has been set up will provide us another tool to expand our capacity so that we can do more outreach to not only find out exactly who that patient has been in contact with, but we can also check on them, check on their symptoms, and with increasing our testing capacity, because they go hand in hand, uh, we can have people tested. We can have people tested that may have been in contact with someone who has been infected. Because our goal is to chase down all of those people and to either help them if they are COVID and get them into quarantine or to basically give them the relief that they are not infected. Uh, and of course, to continue the social distancing and other things necessary to keep people safe and to keep themselves safe. So contract tracing, is, is something that we're launching. And what's amazing about this work, a lot of students at UCSF, uh, some of our disaster service workers with San Francisco, some of our librarians and other city workers uh, will be trained to do this work. Uh, and there will be an app uh, to help uh, facilitate this. The app will allow people to keep track of their symptoms and to check in with people who are monitoring their condition and also uh, determine whether or not uh, they should or should not be tested. And I wanna take this opportunity uh, to really thank again UCSF and um, there's a couple of other folks and I think Dr. Colfax will talk a little bit about um, the partners that we have in this particular effort. Um, but I really would like to um, uh, thank the folks who have come together with us to 
uh, prepare this contract tracing system and the apps and the work necessary in order to ensure uh, that we are really uh, getting to the bottom of those who are are um, infected and helping to support them. And we have done some level of that um, in our shelter at MSC South. This is how we were able to, to discover so many cases. Um, the Department of Public Health set up a system there and they were able to test people quickly uh, and based on uh, the two initial uh, individuals who were tested positive, we were able to trace their steps back to this particular shelter and do the work necessary in order to identify the people uh, who they had been in contact with, which led to what we have seen as it relates to MSE South. So again, thank you to the Department of Public Health. Um, thank you to our, our city uh, team. Thank you to UCSF and your medical staff. I, I want to also just talk a little bit about our plans to expand testing because, again, contract tra contact uh, tracing as well as testing go hand in hand, increasing our testing capacity. We talked a little bit about that on Monday. Um, we do want to appreciate UCSF for their willingness to run the test. Uh, but the biggest challenge they and so many other folks throughout the country have had our access to the appropriate swabs in order to uh, initiate the test in the first place. And uh, we want to appreciate just so many incredible public and private partners that we've been working with to try and make testing available as much as possible. Many of you know that we provided uh, City Test F SF uh, on our peers uh, with a partnership with the port uh, to help get those who are city employees with symptoms tested as quickly as possible. And the feedback that I've gotten from city employees has been incredible. Uh, the response and the ability, you get your time, you go in, you get tested, and you get your results back quickly. People are so appreciative of that. And so I just want to, again, appreciate and thank um, the Department of Public Health and the work that they're doing uh, with the private sector as well to get these tests up and running. Today, we want to announce, in addition to peers 30 and 32, um, we want to announce that we're going to be doing another site, um, barely in one medical. Uh, they're working with our office and the Department of Public Health to create City Test SF in Selma. Uh, so the goal is to uh, increase our capacity, although I want to be clear, this is not someplace you can walk up to. You have to meet the criteria in order to be tested. We just want to be able to test people more quickly, get the results back more quickly, so that we can make sure um, that people are prepared to do what's necessary to, of course, uh, quarantine or... Uh, get back to uh, some sort of uh, plan with their lives as they know it. Uh, so, for example, uh, if there is a person who works here at the Emergency Operations Center or there's a person who works at the San Francisco General and they all of a sudden wake up maybe with a fever and a cough, even though they're essential city workers, they can't go to work once they exhibit symptoms. And so... Instead of waiting days or weeks uh, to either get tested or to get a response, 
Uh, our goal is to test them almost immediately and to get the test back as quickly as possible because if they are not COVID-19 positive, we want them to be able to go back to work as quickly as possible because they are essential city workers. Uh, so that's the whole point of why we're expanding testing capacities for our city workforce because we need them in our hospitals, in our hotels, uh, on the streets, driving our buses, and all of the things that we see so many of them doing. And again, I, I just want to continue to take the opportunity when possible to thank the incredible workforce in San Francisco. Uh, the fact is, when I say these people are putting their lives on the line, uh, that is not an understatement. Uh, they are putting their lives on the line when they step on those buses and hundreds of thousands of people get on those buses every single day. They're putting their lives on the line when, for example, our paramedics have to go out and be physical with someone who their life they're trying to save. They're putting their lives on the line when they're walking in the hospital doors to serve patients that may or may not be COVID positive. Uh, so they truly are. Um, the folks who are showing up in our hotels and working with our uh, vulnerable homeless population, the people who are showing up to Laguna Honda and continuing to make sure those patients are clean and fed and well taken care of every single day. Um, and I just want to express again my appreciation uh, for the work that so many incredible city employees continue to do. And we want to make sure that we are taking care of them that they have the PPE that they need, that they, if necessary, and they think that they might be COVID positive, that they're able to get testing immediately. That's what this is about, making sure our workforce is prioritized in a way that they are not necessarily uh, put in a situation where they have to choose uh, to just stay home rather than be an important part of our workforce. Uh, I also want to uh, express that this testing capacity um, will be made available to people who may not have insurance. Uh, people who uh, basically think that they're positive and they don't know um, what they should do, especially if they don't have insurance, uh, they can call 311 and uh, we will uh, make sure that we uh, connect them with someone who can talk to them about their symptoms and refer them to a testing site. I wanna also be clear that with our contract tracing and with our testing for people who are part of our immigrant community, that this data, this information, and what we do here will in no way be shared with anyone. So I don't want you to have any fear uh, about ICE or any other federal resource coming in and trying to obtain uh, this personal information and data because we have got to do everything we can to make sure that access to testing, that contract tracing, and what we're trying to do in order to save lives and get to the bottom of this and treat people and help them determine if they're COVID positive or not, we have to make sure people feel safe in revealing whatever information we're asking for in doing this work. So I just want to assure you that this is for this purpose only, and you don't have to be afraid if you think that you exhibit symptoms to call 311 and get referred so that you can be tested. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about today, um, finally, is uh, our economic recovery. Uh, this has been, I know, for so many people, really, really very challenging. Um, so 
uh, today I was on the phone with uh, the 13 mayors total who represents the largest cities in the state of California with our U.S. Senator Kamala Harris talking about some of the uh, federal stimulus packets and the new packets and the changes that they need to make in order to um, make sure that we're actually providing relief to people. So for example, people who have filed taxes and have direct deposit have probably already received today their stimulus uh, checks. But unfortunately, the people who may not have a bank account um, won't get their check for maybe even another few weeks. And those are the kinds of things that are completely unacceptable. We know that people need money now. We know that people need groceries now. We know that people are concerned about paying the rent, even though we have a moratorium on evictions. We know people are, 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 are living in fear. People are scared. People don't know what to do when they don't have access to resources. Um, and, and even though there are some people that are fortunate enough to be in a situation where they are financially going to be okay. Uh, there are so many San Franciscans and people throughout this country who will not be okay. And so Give2SF was uh, what we started as a resource to uh, provide support for food, uh, for groceries in particular, uh, through gift cards and through uh, other resources to those who may not necessarily qualify for other services. Um, and also uh, subsidies and support around rent for uh, people that we can provide support for. So we've raised private dollars into this fund. We have public money going into this fund. It also includes support for our small businesses. Uh, and we know that there are a number of state and federal initiatives that we hope will have an impact on supporting uh, our communities and making sure that the combination of food banks, of our outreach teams, of the work that we're doing uh, will actually get to people. Uh, if you have any questions or you need any assistance, uh, call 311 so that we can direct you to the right resource. Uh, we have a number of programs and information online, and I know sometimes going online can be confusing, and some people don't have access to online tools. So if you have any questions, you're a senior and you live alone and you can't get out to get food. Uh, you are an immigrant and you don't qualify uh, for food stamps or for benefits in that way. You are someone who basically doesn't know what to do and you need help. I want people in this city to use 311 as a resource to ask for what you need. Don't wait. If there is something that you need help or support, please contact 311 uh, and also look at sfgov.org on our website uh, for more assistance. That is for what we are dealing with currently. But the fact is, after we gradually come out of this, uh, there are still going to be some challenges. For example, uh, the governor talked about new guidelines for restaurants, restaurants potentially needing to go to half capacity. And what does that mean for their staff? What does that mean for their, their rent? What does that mean for the food that they need to purchase and what have you? How are we going to make sure that as we try and get back to a level of what we saw before this virus, 
What are we going to do about tourism? What are we going to do about the hotels and the people who work in those hotels? How are we going to make sure uh, that our hair salons and our nail places, who basically will probably you know, only make enough to cover their rent moving forward, how are we going to make sure we're taking care of their back rent? How are we going to make sure we're supporting our small businesses and, and people who basically can't look back and meet the needs of the past uh, because they're focusing on making sure that they have resources and money for the future. How are we going to get these businesses back online? How are we going to recover? It is not going to be easy. The city faces a $1.1 to $1.7 billion budget deficit. And what that means is we're going to have to make some serious changes. We're going to have to reprioritize how we spend money. Every dollar matters. Every dollar matters anyway, regardless of this situation, but it matters even more than ever before. And so we are going to have to make some major changes. And I talked about last week uh, the uh, Economic Recovery Task Force. Uh, Supervisor Norman Yee and I, the president of the Board of Supervisors, uh, we uh, put together this task force, which will be co-chaired uh, by a number of folks, including Carmen Chu, the assessor recorder, the, uh, the executive director of the Labor Council, Rudy Gonzalez, and some others, to begin that process. To begin that process with our restaurants, with our small businesses, with our hotels. How are we as a city going to change our policies, going to make our financial investments? How are we going to start now so that when we begin to gradually open the doors to the city that our businesses can get back to work, our people can get back to work, we can get our economy back going. That's going to be critical to the success of our future. This is a challenge, yes. This is a challenge going on a lot longer than I know many of you had hoped. Uh, but I want to also be clear that we're working on all of these issues. Uh, and we are focused on making sure that we're making good decisions so that we can protect both the physical health and the mental health and the financial health of our city for the long term. So thank you all again for your cooperation and all that you continue to do to support these efforts. I want to again um, express my appreciation to how amazing people have been, uh, the positivity, the love, uh, the support for one another. Uh, it has been truly amazing. And I, I want to be clear, we, we have our challenges, yes. We have our challenges as a city. But I am so proud of the workforce and the people in this city who are working hard for all of you every single day. They are doing the best that they can and following social distancing, which is very, very difficult to do when you're trying to work in some cases. Uh, so I want to express my appreciation to them and so many other folks who are out there trying to make sure that when we say we're in this together, we're not only in this together, we're supporting one another together, we're uplifting one another together, we're doing everything we can to get each other through this because we will get through this and we will emerge stronger than ever. Thank you.
And at this time, I'd like to uh, introduce the Director of the Department of Public Health, Dr. Grant Koufax. I am Dr. Grant Koufax, Director of Health for San Francisco. And thank you, Mayor Breed. Today, there are 1,013 San Franciscans who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. 9,000 people in San Francisco have been tested. Sadly, 17 people have died of the disease. I send my condolences to their families, their loved ones, their friends, and their community. There are 88 patients with coronavirus hospitalized across the city, and about 30% of them are in the intensive care unit. Another 53 people are in the hospital who may have coronavirus, and they are, they are awaiting test results. Our hospitalization numbers have been holding relatively steady for the past few days, which is welcome news. But again, that could change at any time, especially as we begin to see expected outbreaks in the city, including potentially in vulnerable populations. As we reported last week, there was an outbreak of coronavirus at MSC South, the city's largest homeless shelter. As of today, 92 guests and, st and 10 staff there have tested positive for the coronavirus. At Laguna Honda Hospital, there are now 18 confirmed cases of coronavirus. 14 of the confirmed cases are among staff and four are among residents. All the residents are in good condition. Of the staff who tested positive, 11 have been in patient care positions and three have not. All four positive resident cases were in the South Five neighborhood. And to date, 329 Laguna Honda hospital staff have been tested and 272 residents have been tested. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, uh, remain on site advising us with regard to our response. And across San Francisco's entire hospital care system today, there are 1,262 acute care beds and 436, 436 intensive care beds available across the city to meet the demands of a surge. And we are continuing to build capacity in our hospital system. Today, I am very happy to announce that Chinese Hospital has opened 23 new beds to serve patients being discharged from Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and who no longer require an acute level of care but still have medical needs. Partnerships like these are helping to decompress hospitals so that they are ready for an expected surge of coronavirus patients. My gratitude for the ongoing collaboration with Chinese Hospital. As you can see, as you can see we remain laser focused on the health emergency in our city, in our region, in our country. We are doing everything we can to reduce the spread of the virus in our community, protect vulnerable populations, healthcare workers, and first responders. 
we are implementing strategies and developing further workforce needs, developing further workforce capacity to meet our needs, both today and into the future. Programs like the mayor announced, City Test SF, are expanding our testing capacity, not only for our first responders, healthcare providers, but for the public who meet the screening criteria. And looking ahead, we are expanding our contact tracing capacity. Contact tracing has always been a fundamental public health tool. From the beginning of this pandemic, we have emphasized contact tracing. But we need to be even doing more today and preparing for when we need more capacity in our workforce to do this in the future. We are looking ahead. We are building a fast-moving, comprehensive system to track cases and support people to prevent the spread as much as possible. This is essential today, and it is also essential as we ultimately move out of restrictive shelter-in-place orders into a new phase of fighting the pandemic. As the mayor emphasized, we will need a framework going forward that includes strong infrastructure for testing, data tracking, caring for vulnerable populations, and further reinforcing and preparing our healthcare system. The health department will continue to align with these objectives along with other departments across the city, key private stakeholders and community members. That's why I'm happy to announce today a major development to help us reach our goals. San Francisco, as the mayor mentioned, is creating a first of its kind program to identify Bay Area residents who have been exposed to coronavirus and give them access to the testing and resources they need to keep themselves and their families and communities as safe as possible. This expanded contact, contract, contact tracing program will use technology to dramatically expand our ability to find and connect with individuals who may be close contacts of a person with a confirmed case of coronavirus. This capability will greatly strengthen our city's response to the pandemic. It will allow for swifter, more efficient communication, better data tracking, and stronger interventions to reduce spread. This innovative program is a partnership among the Department of Public Health, UCSF, and Damaji, a software company that has been working with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dimaji has been working with the CDC on improving contact tracing and monitoring of people who are potentially infected with COVID-19. And I am pleased that San Francisco is helping lead that way. San Francisco's innovative new program will engage with individuals who test positive for COVID-19 to identify their recent close contacts. Specially trained outreach workers 
will then follow up remotely by phone or text with any individuals who may have been in contact with the COVID positive patient. These conversations will be voluntary, confidential, and culturally and linguistically appropriate. And I want to emphasize that immigration status will have no bearing on these conversations. Case contacts will be able to receive daily text messages or phone calls checking in on their health and symptoms throughout the 14-day monitoring period. People can self-report symptoms via text and immediately alert public health workers that follow-up or testing may be required. For this program to work, people who are contacted will need to have confidence that their participation is, again, confidential, voluntary, based in science, and based on their and their family's best interest. There have been instances in San Francisco when people may have been unwilling to work with contact investigators. This may be because they do not trust them, do not understand the purpose, or do not have all the information they need to feel comfortable. I want to ensure that all San Franciscans have equitable access to this new program to address those challenges. The Health Department will work with its partners to conduct outreach to ensure the public is aware of the program and knows what they should expect if contacted. This new contact tracing program will amass an unprecedented number of key personnel to staff and respond immediately whenever there is a newly confirmed case. They will take action to prevent the spread among contacts as much as possible. This capability, this capacity, will enable us to move forward as a city now and after the shelter-in-place order is filled, is lifted, excuse me. We have already begun training a cadre of people to do this work, including, as the mayor referred to, San Franciscan librarians, Department of Public Health staff, city attorney staff, and UCSF medical students. Additional trainings are ongoing with the ultimate goal of scaling up a citywide and regional workforce. More than 50 people have been trained to date and we anticipate by the end of two weeks that nearly 150 people will be trained to execute this program. Regionally, and we hope to scale this up to a regional approach, we hope that as many as thousands of people can be in this workforce to get the people the help they need who may have been exposed to coronavirus. This new program is currently in a testing phase, and it has already contributed to our efforts by contacting people who are close contacts and providing them with the information about how to prevent further exposure. And again, the new program will augment our current case investigation and contact tracing work, which is, as I said at the beginning, the bedrock of good public health. I want to emphasize that contact tracing is just one part of an effective response infrastructure. Other components include expanding testing, 
adherence to isolation and quarantine orders, and continued prevention. The continued prevention that all of you can help with and must help with, including social distancing and wearing facial coverings. All of these will be critical in the future to maintaining any gains we make due to our current efforts, which appear for now to be flattening that curve. I am proud of San Francisco and grateful to the health department team, our city department partners, and our other partners across the city, including those at UCSF, for creating this ambitious contact tracing project. Together, we are making a difference and saving lives. We will keep going. We must keep going so that we can continue to protect our community as our coronavirus response evolves. We are making progress, but there is still a long way to go. As I have said from the start, we are most concerned about vulnerable populations. This includes people in long-term care facilities, people experiencing homelessness with chronic conditions or greater than the age of 60, and others who are over 60 and have underlying health conditions. So please, continue to do your part. Stay home, wash your hands, cover your nose and mouth when you must go out with a facial covering. Take care of yourself. Call and engage with your friends and family remotely. We will get through this together. Thank you. Good afternoon, Trent Rohr, Director of the Human Services Agency. I wanna provide you today with an update on the progress we're making for housing uh, in the city's COVID response. Um, as you know, uh, HSA is directed to provide these housing options and under this COVID response, it's for individuals who are COVID positive or are persons under investigation for having COVID who've been tested and who don't have a place to isolate or quarantine. Um, these are typically, as you know, homeless individuals and individuals living in congregate settings such as single room occupancy hotels. In addition, we're prioritizing vulnerable individuals who are in our homeless shelter system and who are on the street. These are individuals age 60 and above or individuals who have underlying health conditions that make them especially vulnerable to the virus. In addition, um, as Mayor Breed said, we as a city so value the work of our not only frontline healthcare responders, but all city employees and nonprofit employees who are working with the public every day during this pandemic. We know that their exposure is higher because they are out uh, interacting with the public and we wanna make sure that they are safe. We wanna make sure that their families are safe, that they don't potentially spread infection while going back home. And to this end, we have set up uh, a vast number of rooms for not only our healthcare frontline responders, our doctors, our nurses, and other healthcare professionals, but for many categories of city employees who are reaching the public every day. These include uh, workers in child protective services, workers in adult protective services, 
our in-home supportive services, home care providers who are providing vital services to help our senior and disabled populations stay at home and isolate and make sure that they are safe. MTA bus drivers and operators, animal control workers, and then even our disaster service workers who are city employees who are uh, offering to work in our hotels and shelters, and also our CBO staff who are working on the front line. This is by far the, the broadest uh, application of first responder housing that we know of across the country and really demonstrates uh, the city's care for this population, the importance of their work, and the importance of making sure they're safe and their families and communities are safe. In terms of progress, uh, an update report on, on the numbers. Um, First of all, in terms of the vulnerable individuals in our homeless shelters, we have completed the process of identifying and offering hotel rooms for our vulnerable persons uh, in our homeless shelter system. These are single adults age 60 and above or who are vulnerable. I can say that not all of them have accepted our offer to move to our hotel room. And in those cases, uh, we will continue to reinforce the social distancing in our shelters, the hand washing protocols, and all the other safety measures that our staff and our shelter residents have been trained in. We now have 2,100, say it a better way, we now have 2,151 hotel rooms across 14 hotels in San Francisco, 1,271 of them for the vulnerable populations I described, and, 800, and the rest being for first responders and city employees working with the public every day. We have 874 individuals placed uh, in the 1,271 rooms for vulnerable and continue to uh, see a constant flow of our frontline responders as well as uh, other city employees into our hotel rooms for them. Our estimated need um, is still around 7,000 rooms. And again, I use the word need and not goal. These rooms and the estimated need is based on the best public health information we have, the best information we have from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing on the population vulnerable uh, on the streets and in shelters. And we continue to reevaluate uh, those numbers uh, on an ongoing basis and adjust our need accordingly. As I've said many times, the response to our requests for uh, quotes and interest in the hotel program has been overwhelming. We are now up to 81 hotels who have submitted interests in renting rooms to the city, representing over 12,000 rooms. This gives us the flexibility to increase the number of rooms uh, should we need. It also gives us the flexibility to choose the types of hotels that are suitable for certain populations. Um, we have uh, been segmenting uh, populations. I'll give you one example. For individuals who uh, struggle with, with mental illness uh, or addiction, we have a hotel specifically staffed uh, for them with a size that, that makes it uh, a more uh, effective and appropriate location for those individuals. As I said, we'll continue to evaluate the need, continue to be fluid as a, as a public system uh, in response to an environment that is, of course, very fluid and changing daily. I'll conclude with those remarks and open it up to questions. No, uh, I'm actually turning it over to uh, San Francisco's police, police chief, Chief William Scott. Good afternoon, 
I'm Bill Scott, Chief of Police, San Francisco Police Department. First of all, I'd like to start again by thanking our mayor, Mayor London Breed, for her leadership during this pandemic. And I also want to thank our public health director, Dr. Grant Colfax, for his leadership during this pandemic. I want to update you all on our enforcement efforts on the public health order, as well as what we're seeing in the streets and around the communities of San Francisco today. We've seen some very nice weather in the past couple of days, and with that, it has brought more people outdoors to get exercise and probably um, take care of their mental health needs. But with that, more people means um, more instances where people are not engaging in social distancing. We, as a result, we have staffed up our deployment at our parks, along with our park rangers from Rec and Park, so you will see officers, you will see cadets, you will see park rangers, and also community workers at our parks and gathering spots that we believe people will go to to get exercise or walk and um, to get outdoors today. And with that, we haven't changed our position on how we are approaching this. For those people that are just out enjoying you know, the fresh air, we ask that they social distance. We ask that they follow the public health orders, and we continue to stress voluntary compliance. For those folks that have uh, been in this position and been warned by officers, and if that's on record, uh, you will be cited. But again, we want to go back to where we started from day one is education. If we engage you, we will Make sure that you understand what the seriousness of this pandemic is and also what needs to be done in order to keep you and your loved ones, your friends and families safe. Um, we have increased the number of sites over the last few days. We're, we now have nine sites that have been issued by San Francisco police officers. Uh, the breakdown is four businesses and five, I'm sorry, five businesses and four individuals. Some of those businesses are businesses that officers had warned previous to citing them. And again, as I've said um, several times in these press conferences for businesses, we're not going to warn you twice. If we have to go back, we will cite you. Uh, for the individuals, again, um, Dr. Colfax has laid out the best advice that anybody can give right now in terms of what needs to be done to keep yourself safe and healthy. Stay six feet apart. If, you're, if you have to go outside for essential business or if you want to get some exercise or fresh air, it's recommended that you cover your face. If you have to go to uh, the grocery store or any other type of essential business, practice social distancing. A lot of the businesses now have marks outside the businesses to indicate where those six feet markers are. And we advise everybody and encourage everybody to pay attention to the sidewalks and the locations. If you do go grocery shopping or to the bank or post office or wherever you go, to, because it makes it easier for people. And we have had um, situations where officers have shut down businesses for not engaging in social distancing practices. This pandemic is hard enough as it is on everyone. Uh, if you are an essential business. We need your help. We need you to encourage your customers to social distance. And if that's not occurring, 
our officers will close your business as mandated by the health order. If you are out with your friends and families, just a reminder, if you live in the same household, um, you're not expected to have to separate six feet. If you do not live in the same household, please maintain that physical distance of six feet. That's what the order says, and that's what we remind everybody to do, and it's for everyone's best interest. This week, we're seeing a slight uptick in calls for service, and we believe that is because more people are out um, enjoying the good weather and the fresh air. And again, we want to remind everybody, if you must go out, please cover your face and please maintain that social distance of six feet. If you are a victim of a crime or if you see a crime in progress, if it's a violent crime, remind everybody, I remind everybody to call 911. Uh, if it's a crime that has occurred or a property crime that's not of a significant immediate importance, call our non-emergency line of 415-553-0123. You can also call 301 or utilize the San Francisco Police Department website to report crime. I want to speak a little bit about uh, 420. The, our mayor has made it perfectly clear that 420 is canceled for this year, but I want to reiterate what the mayor has spoken to the public about 420. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt that 420 will not occur this year. The San Francisco Police Department, along with other city entities, will make sure that that is carried forward. Um, the area will be fenced off. We will have officers out in full force. Um, if you plan to show up, the consequences probably won't be favorable to you. It includes citations. It includes uh, street closures. Simply said, we want to make it difficult for anybody that is thinking about attending a 420 event. We want to make it difficult in the best interest of our public health, and that is what we intend to do. Uh, if we have to cite, we will. If we have to arrest, we will. But I want to make it clear that 420 is, is off this year, is canceled, and please think of the health of, if not yourself, the people that you care about if you're thinking about engaging in a 420 event in the city of San Francisco. We will be out in full force, and we will work through the weekend as well to make sure that the health order is being complied with as best we can so we can all stay safe and healthy. And with that, thank you, and I think it's time to open for questions. The first question is for Director Abigail Stewart-Kahn, Homelessness and Supportive Housing. Director Stewart-Kahn from Heather Knight with the San Francisco Chronicle. Are you concerned about the crowding of tents and people in general in the Tenderloin, and what measures are you taking to address it? We are extremely concerned about the crowding of tents and the unsheltered population during this pandemic in the Tenderloin and in and across our city. When people are anxious, which many of us are now, we seek connection. This is a natural human instinct, and that connection is putting everybody at da in danger now. I want to thank the Healthy Streets Operations Center partnership, which is led by Jeff Kaczynski, because the minute this, this state of emergency was declared, HSOC pivoted 
and began providing education and information and ceased any encampment resolutions. What this means is that they're out there every day, the HOT team, the police department, public health, the Department of Public Works, Rec and Park, and many, many others, working together to provide information to our unsheltered neighbors, first on the COVID epidemic and their vulnerability, then on physical distancing guidance while being unsheltered, and so on. We need people to adhere to this guidance. What we understand is happening is that we will work with a group of individuals on a certain block, and tents are moved apart, and the next day we come back, and another tent has inserted into the space between the tents. We need folks to stay six feet apart, even when unsheltered, and to listen to the individuals that are out there trying to provide information. We care deeply about the unsheltered population, and as Director Rohr and Dr. Colfax have shared, those who are vulnerable over the age of 60 or with underlying conditions are a high priority for the city. Soon we will be able to move to begin to begin a very small pilot, which will allow us to bring unsheltered individuals inside. We have not begun that yet, and it will be a small resource when it starts before we can get to scale. In the meantime, we need everybody, sheltered, unsheltered, housed, unhoused, to adhere to physical distancing guidance, especially if you're unsheltered and have vulnerabilities. We really want to thank you. We know this is a challenging time, and we look forward to better days ahead. The next set of questions are for Mayor London Breed. You're listening to KSFP LP, San Francisco, 102.5 FM, and the April 15th press conference from San Francisco's Emergency Operations Center on the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Madam Mayor, the first question is from Joyce Cutler, Bloomberg Law. Mayor Breed, you and President Yee were planning on a rewrite of the city's gross receipts tax. What is the status of that, and how will the projected billion-dollar deficit influence what appears before voters? Uh, Thank you for the question. Um, The fact is, at the time when we were planning for a revamp of the gross receipts tax here in San Francisco, we were living in a different reality. And unfortunately, uh, the focus is going to be on our economic recovery, uh, some changes that we need to make as it relates to how we're spending our money currently. But more importantly, there could be uh, some changes or revamp of uh, business taxes in general. But unfortunately, what we had planned before is something that we can't continue to move forward with, especially now in light of our new uh, reality with the economy. The next question is from Sarah Ruiz Grossman, Huffington Post. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors voted to open thousands of hotel rooms to homeless residents. Will the city do so? I want to be clear with the public. Uh, From day one, as we started to talk to people about this pandemic, uh, what we wanted to make sure people understood is how critical it was to provide facts, how critical it is to make it clear to the public what we can and can't do as a city. Uh, Just this past weekend, there was a rumor uh, on the internet by sadly one of our city leaders that said that UCSF had agreed to test everyone in our shelters and the city had not taken them up on the offer. And that was absolutely false. And it was so irresponsible in light of a pandemic 
when we are dealing with a matter of life or death, to spread false information as a city leader on the internet is really irresponsible and very tragic at this time especially. The fact is, we work hand in hand with UCSF, and a statement by the, a joint statement between the director of the Department of Public Health and the uh, chancellor at UCSF was put out clarifying what UCSF could actually do, and that is run the test. But UCSF and the city and county of San Francisco, as well as many of our healthcare systems throughout the entire country are short on the swabs that are required to actually uh, initiate the test in the first place. And what we have done time and time again as it relates to uh, the hotel rooms is really try and explain to the public uh, the challenges, especially in light of social distancing. Uh, would we like to open the doors of every hotel room and give everybody a place to say, of course we would, but it's not that easy. The challenges, as I've continued to say, with the population that we are serving, uh, people who are unfortunately unhoused, uh, some who suffer from substance use disorder and mental illness, those challenges that these people are dealing with, they don't just go away because there's a pandemic. And so when we look at hotels, we have to make sure, as Dr. Colfax talked about and, and Trent Roar talked about, that people struggling with mental illness, we need to make sure that the clinicians and the city staff who have never worked with this population before, that they are trained, that they are prepared, that they are able to provide them with the resources and the support that they need, that we're not basically opening up and putting you know, 100 people with mental illness in the same hotel. We're looking at smaller hotels. We have around the clock 24-7 service, whether it's our staff, whether it's nurses, there's three meals a day, there's cleaning, there's management, there's people who call in sick and aren't available, but we need them for those shifts. There's training that goes into all of this. And the work that we are doing, for example, here at the Emergency Operations Center has everything to do with making sure that we are working with staff in the city and various departments to get them prepared and trained to do this work. But it's not easy. And if it were that easy, we would have done it a long time ago, and other major cities in this country would have done the same thing. We, are, we have moved faster and further along than almost any other major city in the country as it relates to housing our unhoused population. Over 700 people have been housed out of our shelters and counting. So I'm really proud of the work that they continue to do. Would I like to do more? Yes, I'd like to do more. Would I like to open up 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 hotel rooms? Of course, who wouldn't? But that is not the reality of what we as a city can do. And what I've made clear time and time again, that every decision that we make, everything we do, is going to be based in what is reality because it's not fair to the people of this city to pretend that we can do something that we know we can't. And next question, Janie Har, the Associated Press. The Santa Cruz County Health Officer says she is working with 13 Bay Area counties to craft less restrictive shelter-in-place orders for as early as May 4. Is San Francisco looking to loosen restrictions to allow for greater activity? I wanna be clear. Uh, that in every decision we make, 
It has everything to do with facts. It has everything to do with the science and the data. We have relied heavily, of course, on our public health officials to guide us through this process. And we have done this in a collaborative approach. We've not just focused on San Francisco. We looked at the entire region and what that means for us to work together to make these decisions together because if San Francisco makes the decision and Oakland and Daly City and other surrounding cities choose a different direction, it's not going to be good for any of us. The people who work in San Francisco, the people who come to San Francisco for various reasons, they, they don't all live here. And so keep in mind that it's important that as quickly as we want to get back to opening our cities, which I so desperately do as well, we want to make sure that we are collaborating with our public health officials, that we are focusing on the data, uh, that we are strategic and clear about the direction that we're going in. And as I said earlier in my remarks, the worst thing that we can do is move too quickly and then go back to an even worse situation of the number of cases that are diagnosed as a result of it. And so that's really what we want to focus on. Uh, we still have a long way to go. Uh, I am hopeful about the future, and I'm hopeful that we'll get there, uh, but we want to work together in doing that. Thank you, Madam Mayor. The next set of questions are for Dr. Grant Colfax with the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Dr. Colfax, the first question is from Chris Reyes, ABC7. What comes after the testing phase of this contact tracing project? What is the timeline and details of the next phase? So with regard to this contact tracing effort, uh, this is happening. Um, we have trained a number of people already with, on this. Um, so it will continue to iterate as we learn uh, from this, from this uh, early period in terms of how to improve, what responses are, that we're getting. Uh, we will expand our languages. Right now it's in uh, English and Spanish. We are working rapidly to implement a uh, Cantonese, a Mandarin, and Tagalog uh, versions of this. So it's not as though there's a uh, series of discrete phases. It's a scale-up. And as I said, we hope to have um, nearly 150 people trained on using this app, this Demaji app, um, in the next uh, few weeks. And uh, it will be an integral part of our efforts going forward. And we are exploring with regional partners so that uh, potentially we could have hundreds, if not thousands, of workers trained in this across the region for us to collectively do better with our pandemic uh, response. Thank you. The next question is from Sam Whiting, SF Chronicle. Will San Francisco be mandating face coverings similar to Sonoma, Riverside, and Los Angeles counties? So we know that along with uh, uh, physical distancing, also known as social distancing, that uh, wearing a, f a facial covering helps protect others. Um, so I like to think of it as my mask protects you, your mask protects me. Um, and we are looking right now to ensure as much as possible uh, that there is compliance with our face masking recommendations uh, and looking to see um, whether uh, additional measures are needed to, to protect uh, people. The next question is from Crystal Liang, Skylink TV. In regards to contact tra tracking tracing program, how will the close contact resident be contacted? 
what kind of information will be asked so when they get the notification, they can determine whether or not it is a scam. So um, working with this app, we will um, be executing, ensuring that uh, there's a feedback so that people can um, use technology to, to, to get the comfort that it is not a scam, just like you do uh, when you get other notifications. Um, and in terms of the information that's being gathered, it's really going to be focused on uh, ensuring that uh, the, peop the person knows that there's been a, contact, uh, a, a close contact with somebody who's been diagnosed with COVID-19, uh, some very general uh, information that will be collected, but that will be confidential. Um, and we're certainly not going to be asking for sensitive information, um, personal information, uh, such as social security numbers, uh, other, other um, uh, factors like citizenship, status that will certainly not be asked what we're asking for is the information that we need to ensure that that person um, is as as safe as possible and and importantly gets the help that they need uh, to manage their exposure and if symptoms develop that they get the care that they need and to keep uh, their family and community fully informed and as safe as possible. That is why we'll be asking people about their symptoms. Um, we will be asking them about how they are doing. And again, I wanna emphasize um, this is a bedrock of public health. And we also know in order to, to use this tool and to, for this tool to be effective, we must uh, do this in a culturally appropriate way um, that is sensitive to the needs of some of our most vulnerable populations. This work will be done through an equity lens as has our entire approach to addressing this pandemic. The next question is from Joshua Sabatini, SF Examiner. Does the city have a goal for the number of people they want to test this month across all testing sites, both public and private? And what is the biggest barrier at this time to increasing the number of tests? So the biggest barrier right now to increasing our number of tests is instability of the supply chain. Um, that's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, of words, but basically instability of the supply chain, we're not able to get swabs, the appropriate swabs for test collection. Uh, these are specialized swabs. You can't use something as simple as a Q-tip. Um, so these are, these are swabs that must be approved. Um, and media, medium, uh, which is basically the gunk that you put the swab in to keep the sample stabilized as you transport it to the machines. With our um, partners at UCSF and other partners, including uh, the partners that were announced today in terms of our expanding our testing capacity, um, we have enough machines in the city um, to do this. What is our rate limiting step are, are, are getting the swabs, uh, getting the media. Um, I'm hoping that we will be stabilizing that in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I just have to say that the, one of the biggest uh, challenges in our local, regional, and, and, and uh, I believe national response is the lack of a re reliable source um, from the federal side. I do not know on a regular basis um, how many swabs we can expect. The supply chain is extremely unstable right now. It makes it incredibly difficult to plan um, going forward. While we do have our swabs today to test the, the people who need it most, um, our people who are, who are exhibiting symptoms, uh, our frontline uh, first responders and healthcare workers and, and city workers who are exhibiting uh, symptoms and other uh, high-risk contacts. Uh, that will continue, and I'm hopeful that as our supply chain stabilizes, we will be able to expand uh, the criteria for testing going forward. I will say, however, we need to ensure is that, that as we expand our testing, 
uh, capacity and testing ability, that that does not become a substitute in a situation with high levels of community spread, that testing is an additional tool and does not replace the vital tools of social distancing and wearing face coverings. And a reminder for Josh's first question, does the city have a goal for the number of people they want to test this month across all testing sites? So right now my focus is on getting uh, hundreds and thousands of the swabs in media so that I can establish a clear pathway for expanding our testing. The next question is from Trisha Thadani, SF Chronicle. When will the city release neighborhood level COVID-19 data on cases and deaths? So I'm working, we are working at the health department with our data team um, to, uh, to, to develop those maps and ensure that the, na the maps are accurate. Um, and I hope to have uh, those data presented on our data tracker uh, very soon. Thank you. Next question is from Aaron Alday, San Francisco Chronicle. Regarding the contact tracing program, does this need does this need to be fully staffed before the city can begin to lift shelter in place restrictions? And how many staff people will be needed at that time? So again, um, contact tracing is a vital uh, public health tool. We are scaling it up. Um, we are working to iterate uh, the contact tracing program so that it, it, op it optimizes our ability to, to, to do this work um, in a culturally uh, appropriate uh, way. Um, I think as we move forward, it's a tool that we are using now, and it will be a tool that we will be using as um, in, the, in, the, in the future, uh, shelter-in-place orders are, are eased. Uh, but I can't speculate right now. We have, we've just reached 1,000, look, we've just reached 1,000 cases in San Francisco. Uh, community transmission um, is, is prevalent right now. So we need to ensure um, that we expand our testing capacity, uh, that we ex expand our, our contact tracing capacity, that we maintain our ability to take care of the most vulnerable, including in the hospitals, um, before uh, I can speculate on how much we need of each thing. Um, but right now what I'm focusing on is using this innovation and this partnership to strengthen our contact tracing effort now and for the future. And as I said, uh, we are hopeful that uh, our, our people trained in San Francisco, it, this effort will not just be uh, limited to San Francisco, that we can train hundreds and perhaps even thousands of workers across the region for a collaborative effort that, that uh, will help us address the pandemic uh, for the medium and perhaps even long-term, as well as what we're doing right now. For people who must go into quarantine or isolation, is the city arranging places for them if home is not an option? Yes, and I think uh, with with our, our partners at HSH and HSA and, and their leadership and support of our, our mayor, um, we have focused on this from the very beginning. Um, as uh, we have said, if people are um, COVID positive and do not have an ability to quarantine or isolate at home, um, we provide them uh, with, with rooms in which they are able to do that. And I must say, I, I want to emphasize that this is uh, often done with a lot of wraparound services. Um, we do not just put people in a hotel room and say, um, you know, 
do, do what you can. We wrap around support services. Uh, we mentioned the food. Uh, we mentioned the behavioral health support services that are needed in many of these cases. And this is not just uh, the health department uh, doing it. This is, again, with our partners at HSA, our partners at HSH, our partners at DPW. Um, it really is taking a, a citywide effort to make sure that we're supporting people successfully, not only in their health, but in their needs, uh, their, their daily needs. The next question is from Gerald Chin, SF Bay. How many people in the city have recovered so far, and will the city add this information to the online data tracker? So you can see that our data tracker is, um, supplies a lot of information. Um, we are not uh, tracking uh, recovered cases. We are focusing on uh, the people uh, who are the most uh, vulnerable, the people who have unfortunately died um, from, from, from COVID-19, um, and we're focusing on, on hospital capacity. I think it's important to remember um, that 80%, at least 80% of people who uh, uh, who contact uh, COVID-19 uh, do recover. Um, it can be a rocky course for, for some people, um, and unfortunately some people require hospitalization and, in, and hospitalization sometimes in the intensive care unit. You can see from our data tracker today that uh, about a third of people require that right now. Unfortunately, some people do, um, do die, but, uh, but most people do recover from, from this disease. The next question is from Fred Vogelstein Wired. In regards to contact tracing, it sounds like you are rolling your own technology solution here. Are you taking advantage of the tech industry? Well, look, we are, we are taking, um, uh, in this case, we are using a tool um, developed uh, in collaboration with Dimaji and the Centers for Disease Control. We're using the technology uh, that we need now, the tool that we need now to, to do even better. So again, in collaboration with Dimaji, um, experts at UCSF, uh, Dr. George Rutherford and others um, who are very well known in the field, we're using the technology tool uh, to meet our needs, the, to meet the community needs. So I'm very excited about this innovation. We will certainly iterate and learn and use other available technology uh, tools um, going forward, I'm sure. Contact tracing is essential to reopening the economy. It's also next to impossible to do perfectly or even close to perfectly. What about your past experience tells you it will nonetheless be effective at the scale we are talking about? Well, again, I think we have some of the best um, people um, in the country, if not in the world, in the health department working on this contract tracing work. Uh, Dr. Susan Phillip um, and her team uh, have really been uh, leaders in this before the pandemic where we tracked other uh, diseases, including uh, HIV. Um, we've learned a number of, of, of lessons over decades of doing this work. Um, and again, I can't emphasize how much, how very important it is to have community support, to do this in a culturally appropriate way, to do it in multiple languages, and to ensure sure that uh, the people who are doing the contact investigation uh, are open to feedback and, and iterate uh, the importance of this to the people that, that we're, that we're uh, reaching. If you look at uh, where, uh, where contact tracing uh, is needed, um, the history of infectious disease shows that this is a, this is a key tool, um, that it needs to be scaled up appropriately. Yes, there are a lot of challenges, and yes, there are times when contact tracing may not be um, as effective as, as each case may not be um, as responsive as we would like uh, people to be. But if you can gain the trust, 
if you earn the trust, I should say, if you earn the trust of the communities most impacted uh, by, by, by diseases, including COVID-19, if you provide the feedback necessary, if people feel and see the value of this work, uh, it will succeed. And I'm confident um, with the team on the ground and the support of UCSF and Damaji and others uh, that this program will be a key cornerstone of our response to the pandemic going forward. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. This concludes our press conference for today. You've been listening to a special edition of Civic and a broadcast of the April 15th, 2020 press conference with San Francisco Mayor London Breed on the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. This is KSFP LP San Francisco at 102.5 FM, a project of the San Francisco Public Press. Where possible, we will bring this address to our air on the day of each press conference at 7 p.m. We now continue our normal program schedule.